Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The second hour of the program, the phone number, if you want to be on the show, 877-973-7425. All right, we got to get going because I want to do a, a pretty deep dive with you now to explain some things that are going on. We need to talk about what's happening in Ukraine, but we need to do it with a larger perspective than what you may be getting from a lot of other sources. Now, to begin, let's be very honest here. The odds of the United States going to war over Ukraine are pretty small. Nobody really wants to go to war over Ukraine. There is a problem, however. It's the same thing with Taiwan. We're not really going to go to war with China if they invade Taiwan, which they probably will do this year. The problem, however, is that if we don't, it will embolden Russia and China uh, more. You only need to look at the situation with the Houthi in Yemen to understand the way this works. The Houthi rebels in Yemen, they're, they're largely taking over Yemen. They were considered a terrorist group by the Trump administration. The Saudis and other Middle Eastern countries were fighting them. The Houthi rebels are funded by Iran. On the first day of the Biden administration, they got rid of the terror designation on the Houthis. The Houthis just launched terror attacks on the United Arab Emirates, uh, causing real destruction in the UAE. Additionally, uh, the UAE said uh, the United States intercepted Houthi missiles targeting the United Arab Emirates. Uh, this is from the Associated Press. The United, Arab, the United Arab Emirates and the U.S. military intercepted two ballistic missiles fired by Yemen's Houthi rebels over the skies of Abu Dhabi early Monday, authorities said. The second attack in a week that targeted the Emirati capital. The missile fire further escalated tensions across the Persian Gulf, which previously had seen a series of assaults near but never indisputably on Emirati soil. It comes during Yemen's year-long war and the collapse of Iran's nuclear deal with world powers. American troops at Al-Dafra Air Base in the capital took shelter in bunkers during the attack and fired back with their own Patriot missiles. The attacks threatened the business-friendly, tourism-focused efforts of the Emirates. The Houthi military spokesman, Yahya Saria, claimed the attack in a television statement uh, saying the rebels targeted several sites in the UAE with both uh, Zulfikar ballistic missiles and drones. He warned the UAE would continue to be a target so long as attacks on the Yemeni people continue. The Biden administration escalated this situation by deterring attacks on the Houthis, trying to show good faith to the Iranians, and it has escalated the situation there. The Houthi and the Iranians sense weakness on the part of the United States and Middle Eastern allies, and they have escalated the situation. Russia, when it invades, when, not if, it invades Ukraine, is going to sense weakness on our part for our failure to re-engage, and it will be expansion on their agenda. Let me explain this to you by talking about NATO. Let me give you the list of members of NATO. Albania, Belgium, Bulgaria, Canada, Croatia, uh, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Montenegro, Netherlands, North Macedonia, 
Norway, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Turkey, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Now let me break these down further for you, which will open the door into some thinking here. Maybe illuminate the situation for you. Some of these nations used to be members of the Warsaw Pact. The Warsaw Pact was the Cold War entity designed to counter NATO. NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was formed after World War II as the Soviets expanded into Eastern Europe, collapsed Western governments, imposed Soviet regimes. The Western European powers, the United States and Canada, they formed NATO as a military pact using American military muscle in Europe to make it clear to the Soviets if they tried to expand further west, if they attacked any of those members, there would be global war. There is an effort now by some to say we don't need NATO anymore because the Soviet Union is gone. They misunderstand history. And we'll get to that. But herein lies the problem. Albania, Bulgaria, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Montenegro, North Macedonia, Poland, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia. They, all of them, were part of the Warsaw Pact. They were all controlled by the Soviet Union. Some of them were part of the Soviet Union. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, they were the Baltic republics, we call them now. They were taken over first by the Soviets. They got freedom and immediately sought out the West. Slovenia, Slovakia, we used to have a country on the map called Czechoslovakia. We now have two countries, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. They were forcibly united by the Soviets. And after the Soviet Union fell apart, they broke up, went their separate ways. Montenegro, North Macedonia, Slovenia, Croatia, they all were connected to Yugoslavia and the sphere of influence of Yugoslavia and the Soviet Union. Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania, Poland, all of them within the Soviet sphere of influence. And therein lies the problem for those who think NATO is a relic of the Cold War for which we no longer need. The Soviet Union, at its heart, were a bunch of Russians who still maintained, despite throwing off and killing the Russian Empire and Tsars, the belief of a Russian sphere of influence, a natural sphere of influence. Since Catherine the Great and Peter the Great, uh, the Russian czars and then the Soviet Union, and now Vladimir Putin and the Russian Republic, have viewed themselves as possessing a sphere of influence that extends into the eastern portions of Europe and the northern portions of Asia, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan, Armenia, Azerbaijan. They even view it as in, in Turkey, and Vladimir Putin has slowly been turning the Turks against us. 
The Turks were one of the original NATO allies. They're, they're turning against us. And Vladimir Putin is doing his best to turn them towards Russia. Now, there are problems there because historically, the Ottomans and the Russian Empire were at war over the Crimea, Georgia, and other areas there. And so there's a lot of deep historic distrust there. But we are dealing not with short-term thinking here. We're dealing with long-term thinking that American impatience has a problem processing because so many Americans deal with short-term thinking. We think in terms of midterms and presidential election cycles. The Russians think in terms of history, in terms of 50 years, in terms of 100 years. We may not be dealing with the Soviet Union, but we're dealing with a KGB czar who is now the president of Russia. In Vladimir Putin, he has the Soviet thinking, and the Soviet thinking of their sphere of influence is premised on the Russian czar's ideas of their sphere of influence. So the Russians want Ukraine. Ukraine was the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. There was a terrible famine there as well. Uh, Stalin killed millions of Ukrainians. When the Soviet Union fell and we had Russia and, and Ukraine separated, it used to be the Ukraine, now Ukraine, Crimea had historically been the realm of the Russian czars, but it was in Ukraine, and they allowed Russia to keep a navy base there. Russia organized essentially a, a rebellion there and took over the Crimea for themselves. There was nothing any of the Western powers could do about it. The Russians have always wanted a fleet on the Black Sea to be able to get out into the Mediterranean. They needed Crimea to do it. It was a strategic importance, and so they grabbed it, and they've kept it. They have incurred into Georgia, Georgia, a province there where Edward, uh, Edward Shevardnadze was for years the president of Georgia. He had been the last foreign minister of the Soviet Union, became the president of Georgia, maintained a lot of Western ties there, was very corrupt. Ultimately, I think he passed away a few years ago, but there had been a, a uh, revolt, new leadership, and then the Russians came in and took over and installed their people. The Russians believe in a sphere of influence, and now herein lies the greater problem. Albania, Bulgaria, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Romania, Poland, Montenegro, North Macedonia, all of these countries, the Russians view them as being in their sphere of influence. Now, none of these countries liked the Soviets. They, they don't like the Russians. They didn't want any part of those. Some of those countries have, have moved back into heavy-handed heavy, heavy -handed authoritarian types. But overwhelmingly, they haven't liked the Russians. They have liked Western Europe. They have wanted to lean to the West. The Baltics in particular, even though closer to the Soviet Union than, for example, Poland, have been very pro-Western. And yet, the Russians believe they should be in their sphere of influence. Now, these are NATO allies. If the Russians take over Ukraine and we do nothing, they're not going to stop at Ukraine, and they're not going to stop at Ukraine because the Russians believe they have a natural sphere of influence. So already they're making rumblings. Vladimir Putin has openly said, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, they need to come home. Even the Finnish are bolstering their military resources on their border because the Russians have been making claims on Finnish territory, which they believe is in their natural sphere of influence. But do any of you want your kids to die for Montenegro or Albania? 
Do any of you want your kids to die for North Macedonia or Latvia or Lithuania or Estonia? Anybody? Putin knows this. Small surrenders get you very big wars. And Putin understands this. And we have a geriatric president right now who may not comprehend that. No one wants war in Ukraine. There are a lot of people, I have friends of mine who say, "Uh, Europe, screw them. The problem here is that Vladimir Putin is also working with Chinese President Xi, who wants to do the same thing with Taiwan, and we're not going to fight over Taiwan. But she has said uh, that his natural sphere of influence, when you show maps from China that originate in China and they show China, do you know China includes Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, the Philippines, lots of the South China Sea. They have expansionist territory there. We don't defend Taiwan. Suddenly they start looking at North Vietnam. Suddenly they start looking at the Philippines, which, by the way, used to be American territory. Small surrenders lead to big wars. No one wants to die for Albania. Let the Russians have it. But the Russians, if they get taste of it, they're going to want to keep expanding. And at some point, NATO either means something or it doesn't. Now, there are those. Tucker Carlson is, is, why do we have NATO? We have NATO still because the Soviet Union may be dead, but the Soviet Union's thinking, a lot of it was premised on the thinking of the Russian czars and their expansionist taste. And we have a lot of allies who have accepted our word. And if our word is not good to them and we let them fall to the Russians, then a lot of other countries around the world are going to start falling to the Russians and the Chinese and the Western order collapses. And you would think that that a lot of people who are bellyaching about this and, and or let the Russians have it are some of the people who lament the war on Western civilization and how the left has waged a war on Western civilization. And that war on Western civilization in the academy, in business, in, in entertainment has ultimately led to a lot of people with a lot of self-loathing in the West who don't realize that we are the, the world order that maintains peace and democracy. If you fall and these nations come under the sphere of the Russians, other nations will fold up shop and move into the Russian and Chinese sphere of influence. And suddenly the dominant world order will be the illiberal world order where you will not have your freedom of speech and your freedom to travel the world be protected like it is right now. It will destabilize the world and put all of us at a disadvantage economically, militarily, national security wise. We will be at a massive disadvantage. The United States seems to be going back to sleep in the world, and these other powers are realizing we're going back to sleep. And across the left and the right, people are like, well, I'm not going to go die for Montenegro. No, you're not, and that's the problem. We as a nation have given up on trying to defend the Western order. Vladimir Putin knows it, and pretty soon there will be no Western order to defend when the Russians start getting hungry to expand their tendencies back into Eastern Europe and spread their tentacles abroad because these small surrenders will ultimately get us to a very destabilized world. That's why Ukraine matters. It's not that any of us want to go to war to defend Ukraine. It's that history itself shows us if we allow the Russians to start expanding, they're going to start expanding directly against us. Oh, hey, there's this old Russian province you might have heard of that they've eyed repeatedly in the past. It's called Alaska. 
Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. You know, I, I just, I, I, I got to spend just a moment more on, on a particular topic here related to everything I've been talking about, these expansionist tendencies abroad. On the left, for some time, there has been this disdain for the Western liberal order. Now, liberal, we, we, I, I don't mean in the political sense. I mean in, in the freedom sense. You typically are, are free to choose your destiny. And this is growing now on the right, uh, disdain for the Western liberal order. And a lot of it uh, comes with a lot of contempt for Western civilization itself. And we find this in universities, the great books programs of old, suddenly going away. People are like, oh, well, we, we, we don't need to read Homer and Shakespeare and all the old dead white guys. The old dead white guys are the people who gave us Western civilization. And though you may not like it, in large part, you despise it not knowing the alternative. Go live in China or go live in Russia and see what the illiberal order is like. And there are a lot of people on the left and the right who increasingly are embracing the idea of illiberalism. Well, liberalism sucks. I mean, we got the drag queen story hour. Look how bad it is. Yeah, you know, illiberalism in large part has gotten us to that on the left. What will illiberalism get us to on the right? Uh, it is the Western liberal order that actually has for years propped up churches. It's the illiberalism of the left that's shutting that down and headed us off into deviancy. And nobody wants to consider that point. And they probably should because it's going to lead us otherwise to bad things. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. To the phones we go. Jim, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Oh, hey, listen, I'm an ancient mariner. So deny history. You're destined to repeat my thoughts go back to World War II, when absolutely nobody in this country wanted to get involved in World War II. They figured that's way across the ocean. Forget about it. And then Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our Democratic president, kept wanting to get over and help the folks in Great Britain. No, no. But what happened? Pearl Harbor happened. And overnight, the thoughts of the nation changed. Once mm-hmm. they bombed Pearl Harbor, they were getting a little too close to our home. So I always remember that. And Yeah, and you know, um, because we, it took us so long to get involved in World War II, uh, it, it dragged out longer, and the Nazis had uh, gotten themselves to Paris and, and set up shop, and it just it became an ordeal to, to push them out because the Americans could have gotten involved in earlier, and they didn't until Pearl Harbor. And gosh, what a mess. Um, it, it, this is one of my concerns with Ukraine. We, we start there. It, at this point, I don't know that we have a World War III situation. I, I don't know that we do. And uh, Jim, thanks for the phone call. But my concern, though, is that we are seeing right now China with Russia's cooperation trying to get the world to align against us. And essentially arranging pieces on a chessboard to checkmate us with or without war. Uh, Equatorial Guinea is about to give China China's first naval base on the Atlantic. Barbados, there are rumors of that Barbados that just threw off the Queen of England and established themselves as a republic. The Chinese have made them a bunch of loans 
and they're on the verge of defaulting on those loans, and China could set up uh, military operations in the Caribbean. China doesn't isn't wanting to be a regional power. They want to be a global hegemon. They want to be the superpower. And we are in such short-term thinking right now in Washington. We don't really have anybody in Washington, in leadership, thinking strategically for the long term. And that's going to hurt us as China begins to become a global power. And listen, once China is in a position to do this, you know, for years we've been giving them most favored nation rights and competitive trade deals. Wait until they don't give those to us. Now back to the phones we go. Susan, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You know, this is basically straight out of um, Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky in that just like liberals over here, they work via incrementalism. A perfect example is in New York City where they're going to give 800,000 non-citizens to write the vote to in local city elections. They'll do that. And then they say, you know, we need to let them vote in county elections. You know what? Then, you know, they really should have a voice in state elections. And then they're going to say, well, they should be able to vote in federal elections, too. And it's just, I mean, abortion went that way. Um, I mean, just any number of societal things here and political issues have gone, you know, because of incrementalism. I mean, that's, that's the way liberals operate, and that's the way Putin is operating. You know, there's something to be said for that. He's been very patient and smart, and to some degree, Susan, he has the benefit of doing that because he's a dictator. I mean, he he was term-limited and even threw off the term limits. There's no one's going to beat Vladimir Putin. You already know who's going to win before the election is held, unlike in this country. But they have, to a degree, done a lot of moral equivalence in their incrementalism, to say, well, we're no better than them. It's like uh, the the guy who's the part owner of the of the basketball team the other day said, oh, China's not really a dictatorship, and we're no better than them. We have no moral high ground on which to lecture them about human rights and the like. We actually do. But on the left and on parts of the right, they say otherwise. Now, listen here. Listen. Uh, I, I need to make this really clear because, my gosh, I, I'm, I've gotten a, a several emails from people saying, shut up, Neocon, shut up, Neocon. One of the problems we have in our country right now, in large part, I think it's been amplified by social media, which has just become this reinforcing loop and makes it harder and harder to nuance. We have lost the ability to nuance. We don't have to be all war everywhere or no war nowhere. We don't have to be in a situation where we become isolationist and we should not be in a position where we're going to spread democracy around the world like so many wanted uh, after 9-11. Um, the neocons, to a degree, by pursuing democracy everywhere as a stabilizing force, they got us a lot of authoritarianism. The neocon project failed and it exhausted the United States from wanting to actually engage in wars where we needed to or engage in defensive positions where we needed to. We need to be able to nuance. We need to be able to understand uh, if we allow Putin to go into Ukraine, he's going to want to go in other places. And eventually, it will set us up for a war that we don't want to fight, that we will have to fight. 
because he will begin to take over our allies. And we have commitments to those allies. And if we don't keep those commitments, then other countries won't recognize our commitments or honor our commitments, and they will turn their backs on us, and it will create a destabilizing situation. Uh, You you need to do some long-term thinking here. We can recognize, however, though, a lot of people lost their appetite for this because of Afghanistan and Iraq and all the other things that we've done in the last 20 years. We can recognize that. But just because we did those things in the past doesn't mean these situations are the same. Uh, This is actually a a profoundly worse situation. We don't want to bring democracy to places. We want to actually protect our democratic allies when Putin and China are, are looking at expansionist tendencies. But we spread ourselves thin and with debt. There is stuff we can do, however, if you don't want to go to war. You need to be open to doing other things. There is a story in Axios, the headline, Europe's energy reliance on Russia is a crucial crucial shield for Putin. Cracks in the NATO alliance regarding sanctions for Russia should Vladimir Putin order troops into Ukraine are in large part based on energy supply concerns. Russia holds tremendous leverage over some European countries because it provides roughly 40% of Europe's natural gas supply. In Germany, the figure is over 50%. Should Russia choose to cut off supplies in the middle of winter in response to the imposition of Ukraine-related sanctions, energy costs will skyrocket and millions could shiver amid power outages. Remember, more people die in the cold than the heat. This could put pressure on political leaders to weaken sanctions. European environmentalists, by the way, they too in the 80s and 90s were funded by the Soviet Union until the collapse of the Soviets, many of them hostile towards nuclear power and the like. Uh, Just because they're no longer funded by a communist regime doesn't mean they still aren't. Watermelons, green on the outside, red on the inside. They have pushed for years for Europe to go to renewable energy, wind and solar, And in in European winters, they may not be the most efficient processes, and the Europeans need natural gas. Well, they've stopped all their drilling and and their continental supplies, and they rely on Russia now. And the environmentalists and the environmentalist policies of Europe over the last several decades have emboldened Russia to the point that the Russians supply 40% of natural gas to Europe, over 50% to the Germans. Vladimir Putin could turn off the natural gas supply and really hurt these countries. There are ways around this, however. We could have a Berlin airlift of natural gas. We ourselves could drill in this country and export natural gas rapidly. We could do it. We could procure the ships, and we could make it a national security issue. But the environmentalists in this country, they don't want us extracting natural gas. They don't want us fracking. They don't want us drilling. Essentially, the environmentalists are some of the people helping set the stage for World War III by making Europe so energy dependent on a dictatorship of Russia. We could weaken Vladimir Putin by exporting natural gas from this country, by being a a massive net exporter of natural gas, by drilling even more natural gas in this country, by getting it on ships and getting it to Europe on a great convoy that lowers the price of natural gas in Europe and makes them more dependent on us than Vladimir Putin. We totally could do this, by the way. We absolutely could if we set our minds to doing it. But uh, the the Americans don't seem to want to do this. We're going to have to become a big exporter. Now, in Qatar, 83% of its natural gas has gone to Asia. We are talking to Qatar about uh, shifting some of its exports to Europe. 
There are a lot of Asian contracts that would be up for grabs and, and locked in, though, and we've got to deal with those contracts. But there are totally ways for us to neutralize some of the situation with Russia, undermine them geopolitically and financially without ever going to war. The question then is those who say, oh, we can't be like neocons, we can't go to war everywhere. Are you willing to expand foreign trade? Are you willing to expand uh, our foreign aid? Are you willing to expand the American money around the world helping other countries? Because if not, guess what's going to happen? We're going to commit troops. You, you can think in other ways besides soldiers. But a lot of people don't want to nuance. A lot of people don't want to say, hey, let's think differently. A lot of people don't want to say, uh, in lieu of doing it this way, let's do it that way. They just don't want to do anything with it. Every single time the United States has been dragged into global war, it has come after we have gone fully isolationist. And unfortunately, right now, uh, much of the left, because they actually don't want American policy abroad, and a good chunk of the right now increasingly is isolationist, wants to stay home and let everybody else deal with it. The problem here is, historically, uh, the United States has ultimately had to get involved to clean up the messes other nations work. If you don't want those messes to be made, you got to stay abroad and involved. And it doesn't mean that you have to fight wars everywhere. But you certainly have to be at the forefront of helping other nations around the world instead of letting China do it, instead of letting Russia do it. Otherwise, eventually, uh, they begin to close in on us. And you can't understand what the world will be like if the Chinese and the Russians dominate the United States. You think inflation is bad now. Wait until they start pressuring us on costs and price points. To fund them, that's going to happen unless we stand strong. But the Biden administration doesn't seem capable of doing it. And a lot of voices in the press, in academia, in the newspapers are committed to the fact that we shouldn't. And I just, I, I don't know that it's coordinated. I don't know that these people are on Putin's payroll. But it just doesn't seem to be a coincidence that as he begins these expansionist pushes back into Europe, a lot of loud voices in the media and in politics and business, they're all like, oh, no, we don't need to do anything. Just, just let it go. Nothing bad will happen. It's just weird how suddenly these voices are rising up to let Putin do whatever he wants to do. When history shows that when the Russians get expansionist tendencies and the Chinese together, bad things are going to happen. We've seen this show before. May not necessarily be the same actors, but it is the exact same plot line, and we need to come to terms with that. I just don't think people want to do that, though. We really could leverage our natural gas assets, though. We could, uh, and we could be working uh, in the Middle East as well against the Iranians. That, that, that you know, we, we keep focusing on China and Russia. Iran is a problem as well. And the Biden administration has sent a bunch of pacifists to Europe to negotiate with the Iranians. They're going to get nuclear. They're going to go nuclear, and, and then <laughs> you want to talk about World War III. You know, the Israelis really can't afford a nuclear Iran when the Iranian regime says death to Israel and death to America all the time. And you got all these poindexter types. Oh, well, actually, they're rational players. They really don't want nuclear war. When they believe it'll bring about the apocalypse and the return of Jesus and the Mahdi, maybe they do. Sometimes the picture is more complicated. Sometimes, you know, the picture is not as complicated. I want to talk about that some too because I, I, I've i got these strange text messages from friends of mine, and they are friends of mine, and they're all offering these scenarios of what if Joe Biden really wants this? What if Joe Biden didn't misstate 
his intentions about Russian incursions. Maybe it was all intentional to provoke the Russians. Maybe he wants a war. Maybe he wants this. A lot of people are trying to explain all this stuff going on. The reality and the bottom line is Joe Biden is either uh, Grandpa Dementia or he's playing 5D chess. You can't turn that switch on and off. It's one or the other. And some people wanted to believe that Joe Biden is out of his mind, Dr. Dementia, while at the same time also being a 5D chess wizard. It doesn't work that way. We'll get into that as well. Well, there's some breaking news out of Virginia, follow-up to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, you, you know, in Virginia, the new governor, Glenn Youngkin, has said uh, no more mask mandates in schools. The Fairfax County public school system has said, uh, too bad, we're still going to do it, and we will expel or suspend any kid who comes to school without a mask on. So it's going to court. Well, uh, Chap Peterson, Chap Peterson, is a Virginia State Senate Democrat. The Virginia State Senate is fairly evenly split, Republican and Democrat. And Chap Peterson is announcing today that he is going to become a Republican and shift the balance of power in the Virginia Senate. Unless the Fairfax County Public Schools get rid of their mask mandate. Kind of a big deal up there. It's becoming this bad. And just for perspective here, Chap Peterson is a reliable Democratic vote in the state Senate. Not only is he a reliable Democratic vote, he represents the heart of Fairfax County. So he's been getting it from parents all over the place up there. That's how bad this is. I, listen, when you get in the bubble, just take, take, go back to The View. The View is a reliably liberal news program. And the panelists on The View are reliably liberal. And they are incensed by Bill Maher of HBO going on the warpath about masks and making jokes about people who can't give up the masks. A, a, a very how dare he moment. They're in a progressive bubble. And it is increasingly progressive. Look, for a long time, it was the conservatives in the bubble on this. For a long time, it was conservatives in the bubble on masks. But the left overplayed their hand on it. And people are tired of their kids having to wear masks at school, particularly when the data shows it's not that effective. And uh, younger kids in particular are falling behind in their emotional IQs, in their ability to relate to people through facial expressions and the like. Parents are furious about it. What's even more furious for parents is um, some of the major pediatric groups that for years did studies on how young children need face time with people to build up their emotional development are now like, oh, no, we never did that study. Sorry, you can't find it on our website anymore. They, they literally, the, what, the American Pediatric Association deleted a study that they themselves had advertised on the need for facial time with, with friends and family for young kids to learn emotional intelligence. Parents are furious. And a lot of the left, frankly, they're not parents. A lot of them are childless. They don't understand it. They're kind of out to lunch on the issue. When you have a prominent state senator in Virginia who is a reliable vote for the left, saying, I'm going to become a Republican unless they fix this, that should be a warning sign that they've overplayed their hands. Uh, you know, there's a big push now among policy leaders on the left to mandate N95 masks on airplanes. I don't think that's going to work. I don't. I don't think it's going to work. Um, I, I and if the Biden administration goes down that path, 
You may even see a revolt among some of the airlines. You know, already you've got a couple of the airlines, United and Southwest, saying we, we don't really need masks on planes. The airflow and air quality and air purification systems on planes are so good, we don't really need to be wearing masks on airplanes. Delta and American are standing put on, on it, but this isn't a good sign for them. can't believe we're still talking about masks here in 2022, and yet it has become... I mean, it's almost become like a religious symbolism for the left, for vanity and purity. When we come back, when we come back, my gosh, I've been distracted by so many of these things. But we got to talk about the Supreme Court. They have agreed to hear a case on affirmative action and race-based preferences in academia. In particular, is Harvard discriminating against kids? It's 2022, and guess what? Nothing still makes sense. The whole world seems to be going crazy right now, and banks have gotten really skittish at helping small businesses. They're perfectly happy to help the giant businesses, but what about you? You're a small business, you got to buy a building or build a building, or you need a big loan for a fleet of vehicles to grow your business, and the banks are giving you a hard time. Check out my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help you nationwide, wherever you are, if you're a small business and you need access to loans, let's say 500000 and up, First Liberty can do it. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family are friends of mine. They're committed Christians and they're great business people and they are committed to small businesses. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you. See if you're a good fit for them. They want to help you get to yes where the big banks are saying no. Nationwide, they can help you if you're a small business. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com. 